finally happening. I'm going to be starting a podcast that, and I'm going to be bringing in guests almost every time onto the podcast to talk about their experiences in the hobby and just what they do as in their expertise. The guests are going to be ranging from collectors to business owners, content creators, all types of people in sports cards. We got Spinatron on episode one. I've looked up to him for a long time. He's been a collector, one of the biggest collectors in the hobby. We had a great conversation about the current state of the market and the future landscape of the hobby. You're going to enjoy this one. The hobby is alive! We got a very special guest today, a person I've looked up to for a long time in the hobby, Spinatron. Welcome to the podcast. Why don't you explain a little bit about what you do in the, in the sports card space and how, how you got involved with it? Okay. Hi, uh, Chad. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm basically a collector. Um, basically, I'm collecting Kobe as my main focus. And also, um, so based on that, I, I kind of expanded a little bit. Like, uh, I collect 90s um, sets, like uh, essential credentials, and also some exquisite, uh, first year exquisite, various auto patches or patch sets. And then um, I also collect some manures your released things like uh, rookies and stuff. So I, I try to be a part of every kind of uh, sectors of the hobby, yeah. So you say that you're a collector number one, does that mean that you don't sell any cards or since the recent <laughs> boom has happened, have you sold some cards? Yeah, yeah, I um, I say that because uh, for the longest time, I collect cards without, uh, too much consideration on the monetary side of things, right? But recently, because things has been kind of exploded, right, in interest and <laughs> price level, so I have to move some cards to to get some other cards. So yeah, and also try to learn the market a bit more. Yeah. Okay, so let's dive right into the market, which you know better than anyone out there. So I, I recently read. That that article you put out pretty much that was that was amazing. So you 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 spoke to the fact that a lot of times players kind of have like two markets where mm -hmm. their super high end isn't necessarily correlated to their common cards. Can you elaborate on that a little bit to the to the yeah. general audience who doesn't understand what that necessarily means? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Um... So we often hear that like alternative um, assets, right? Like uh, postcards and other things are kind of uh, uncorrelated to the general economy and other things like the stock market and other liquid uh, things. Um, but we also recently see like a large quantity of various cards, right? And also uh, various, various pricing tools um, kind of uh, try to put a value on any cards based on the common cards plus some, some sort of modifier, which I think it's not a, a well thought premises because um, on one hand we have a liquid card, right? Um, large quantity or uh, high population, high grade, which uh, can be found anytime and it can be sold at the current price easily, right? That, that's part of hobby um, is a 
this is a large part of hobby, like many people participate in that kind of area. And if a player performs well, if there's some breaking news, the market adjusts to it pretty quickly, right? But there are also um, not necessarily super high end, but there's a, like a, a rare card or um, key card, I would say, which which are like um, can be a um, little bit um, hard to grasp for the newer guys because they rarely show up, right? But if you are collecting certain things for a while, you gradually will know which cards are at the top of the chase list, right? They don't show up often because once the buyers get hands on it, they just keep it for a long time. And um, sometimes things doesn't match up with the print run. For example, something out of 15, but you see it only five in the last 15 years. So it's quite locked up somehow. Yeah, those for those type of cards, it's a completely different market because it's really, there are a larger number of high-end people or uh, passionate player collectors chasing them all the time. They search them daily, although only pop up like once, you know, like three or two, five years. Once this shows up, there will be a fierce competition for it. And people are willing sometimes to sell the entire collection just to get a set of cards. So for those cards, obviously it's not a kind of correlated to economy or what this player is doing or what, whatever, yeah. That's what I tried to so, say. So my next statement would be, how do you mm -hmm. define what a key card is? I know it's tough to define that. Is, yeah. it is, it, is it based on like experience and feel? And the mm -hmm. other thing related to what's going on right now, mm -hmm. would you consider a lot of the top end sales like to be what you're saying versus we see a lot of cards that are going down right now. Right. And and you're you're saying those cards aren't really affected by the high end. I know it's a kind of a loaded question, but if you yeah, could speak yeah. on that, right? Um, yeah. So the key cards are not necessarily the most expensive card, right? Um, from the recent sales, um, it's very hard to define. It's kind of like from the experience and a little bit of the hobby history. For example, in different eras, there are different answers, right? In the 90s, it's more about rare parallels or inserts. In the 2000s era, it's about auto patches card in those high-end products, right? And then in the Panini era, it's Prism or some RPA or some other like very cool innovation like sets like Solo OX or um, for example, some auto patches which are highly chased. So for those cards, um, there are still many of those, but I think essentially, I think if you think about it and uh, put a rank to it, right? In terms of significance, in terms of rarity, in terms of recognition, like uh, once you have this card, you could regard it as like a world-class collector or something. And, and also from the popularity, for example, some rare cards are not really, uh, cared about much by people, right? So it's a combination of factors. For example, I would rank um, Precious Metal Gem Green and also Essential to Credential Now or Future in the first year where the print run is fairly low. Those kind of cards are really like the, like a collection defining card. Yeah. For example, the Credential Now 10 or less 
has not surfaced much in the last uh, like 15 years. And those are really like uh, highly chased. So are there key cards still being pulled out of packs that are, are products that are coming out today? And if the answer to that is yes, how do you compare those key cards to different eras? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I, I think you correctly pointed out, maybe there's a like uh, um, time aspect to it, right? You had to stand against the time and also, um, there are so many things coming out after a certain while that settles, people know which one are really the essence, right? For that era. But I think, for example, yeah, I think uh, many people hate it, but I think the LeBron triple logo man is an example of a key card to me, I think, because it's kind of uh, innovative, right? Three logo man from different uh, championship teams for the single player. I think that's done for the first time and it created a chase, right? like frenzy. Um, yeah, I think those, for example, play Prism Black or those National Treasure RPA out of like 10 maybe, or Shield, those kind of things, I think it's a key card for the current players, right? But for the different eras, they don't have this RPA, maybe it's a different type of chase for them. Another thing that's been happening recently, a lot of different sports and other types of cards are gaining popularity. Is that mm -hmm. something that you are, are getting into, like the F1s, the UFCs, mm -hmm. or are you sticking mainly to basketball, baseball, football? Oh, uh, yeah. I think that's, uh, I think it's always uh, like uh, as a hobby expanding, right? There are certainly people try to, um, there are people definitely stick to the, the most classic things, but there are also people try to explore the under under like uh, appreciated or unexplored areas, I think there are still opportunity to be had. But on the other hand, because of the demand is recent, right? And also can be limited. You have to cultivate a interest uh, community of people to maintain the genuine like passion for that field, right? If you just buy a big card and after a while you just sell it, anything can happen, I think. Um, I, I definitely opened F1 cards. Um, I, I bought a little bit of uh, UFC uh, from Panini, like a blockchain, like Dutch auction and so on. But I still stick to the, uh, the main sports, like as you said, those big three, because they have a largest audience, longest history and the most interesting um, kind of storylines, right? If you listen to sports media, all the big stories come from those sports. Yeah. So I, I agree with you 100%. I, I do, I like some of the other sports, but personally, a lot of people are like, why aren't you getting into these other sports collecting wise? And I'm like, I just like basketball, baseball, football the best. So that's, mm -hmm. that's why I got into those sports. But mm -hmm. speaking of football, mm -hmm. the, the, the super high end and the high end market people don't realize is kind of new overall. It used to be more, more basketball. Yeah. What, do you, what, do you, what do you make of the current football market with the fact that about five years ago, I don't think there was one football card that sold for over 20,000, am I wrong? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think, even, I think even for Kobe Bryant, I think the first six figure sale was 
in 2020, I think. <laughs> so it's uh, everything is kind of <laughs> very new. Um, um, right. Yeah, I think from the earlier discussion, because I have a friend who really collects some football, right, and sell to some guys. Um, like then there are definitely like various player collector, team collectors, but there are also special number collectors, right? Just collect zero number one or something. And from the discussion of that friend, uh, he collects zero number one and stuff. It basically, his general opinion is like football cards just decrease in value over time. Right? <laughs> and also, yeah, basically not much chase. But recently it's a completely different. I think some of the football cards sell much higher than basketball somehow, right? For example, the Herbert or Burrow, Prism of One sells higher than uh, Kate, <laughs> like a different magnitude, right? Sometimes it's a little bit different now. Um, I think football is still maybe the number one sport in the US and um, it's kind of less international, but more and more like coverage, right? Overall, and it's also for some games abroad, like I try to attend this Munich game of Bucks and the Seahawks, right? I think they will, just like the, um, the dream team back then, and this type of games will bring more talents from abroad and also bring more collectors. Um, I think, and also the, somehow the game is like a once a week. So there's a, um, there's a chance for guys to focus on some storylines, analyze gaming detail. There's a lot of content created out from the media, right? And all the main, all the main sports personality, they all talk about football the most, I think, yeah. Um, but on the other hand, I found the market is a little bit fickle in some sense, right? A little bit volatile. It's like a very week by week, although, um, because the football, anything can happen and coach play a big role and the matchup play a big role, right? And but somehow they attribute things to the quarterback. And uh, if you win several weeks in a row, <laughs> the hype is super high, right? And the one loss kind of momentum is lost and so on. So it's, um, I think it's a little bit, and if you collect super high end card with this mindset, it, it can, um, it's probably not suitable, right? You have to have a long-term prospect and also, yeah, be, for example, if Brady had uh, like two struggling weeks, right? Some people from the like new, newer kind of collecting uh, background, they will think the value could decrease or something, which is ridiculous because <laughs> it's kind of like the goat of all sports and shouldn't, recent few games shouldn't define him, but the market says otherwise. So it's just definitely something people have to think about and also adjust to it. Because if the market says so, you think otherwise, you, that, that's also something you have to pay if you, you are not adjust to the market somehow, yeah. I think football is more of a team game than basketball. So in football, right. they're just trying to win the football game. But in basketball, mm -hmm. If you have a guy like LeBron or Luca or Giannis, they, they impact the game so much. So I think I think basketball cards, there's been kind of an overreaction negatively in the last year or so, because I think basketball shot up the highest, the quickest first. So I think that basketball is kind of getting lost in the shuffle. In my opinion, it's a clear number one over everything else. 
Can you speak on your opinion on that? Okay. Uh, yeah. Right. I think the right. Let me think about it a little bit. Um, I think there are two different sets of market. Right. One is the rookie market. Right. Rookie cards of the recent, especially recent, because the rookie has a very limited window. Right. For for its car value to be alive, for interest to be really uh, kind of catch on. Right. Um, but there are also like legends, like LeBron, Curry, and other guys. So there are two completely different markets. Um, yeah, and and for the I think if you like a rookie card, if you see it in the last twenty years, right there, I think I had this conversation with someone recently. I think there are only like seven guys which who really establish some like Hall of Fame and also gold status in some sense. All the rest of it are just forgotten or really kind of. Yeah, faded away, right? So it's a fairly uh, risky game, right? <laughs> Very tough to to spot on those choices. Uh, for the legends, somehow I think it's also priced in for their chance to win a ring, which also I think it's a little bit um, not uh, healthy. I think um, I want to make a post in the coming days about how to compare different grids. Um, uh, across the eras, and the way to do it is using uh, from, yeah, I think it's a very basic way, just using all their accolades, which are kind of competed against their peers, right, and do a tally score, and you see like, what wow, the top 10, and it's completely different to the market. <laughs> For example, uh, Bird and uh, Magic are on the fringe of top 10, but there are like Shaq and Duncan are like uh, in the middle of them, so it's it's a, it's a, I think it should be uh, kind of illuminating in some sense. Um, you were mentioning about market, basketball market is kind of lost uh, in some way. Um, I think it probably because there are so many of those and for the legends and for newer guys, as I mentioned, it's very hard to hit the, those like guys who can pan out like Luca and Tatum, maybe Jamaran, those guys are have highest hype right now, right? And um, compared to the football, you look at the like prism or shield auction, maybe people just sometimes a single auction of the biggest caliber, they can like indicate the market, right? So that probably is a factor, right? Because you don't see many um, basketball, for example, Luca, um, sales hasn't there hasn't been any one of one of rookies so much right there is a private sale early on which kind of set off the market in some sense there are some like a rpa out of five that was really good but otherwise it's all like around for the local market i think it's around 200 to 300 thousand uh, for the higher end right so it's compared to some football for example going for 1 million it's probably still a little bit low yeah, but I think the basketball is still volume-wise and interest-wise still um, quite large, as you said. Do you think as, I'm asking you a lot of questions as like an investor, because I think that's what people want to hear. And I know you're a big collector, yeah. but I like to just see where you're at on certain topics. My okay. next question is, do you think as we should be looking more at like the market cap of a player, if that's possible, mm -hmm. and the pop mm -hmm. reports should be taken more into account than they are because a lot of times 
if you look at a guy like, let's say Giannis, for example, who came in in 13, 14, they just mm -hmm. didn't make as many products as they do now. So there's probably a lot less money in a guy like Giannis than a guy like Jalen Green overall. There's probably less money or it's probably close. So do you think we should take into account market caps? And would you think that data should be readily available? Oh, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Because, um, yeah, if for newer guys, right, if a lot of money is tied to it, it can be risky. And if a, a player with a large body of work but only have a little money invested in it. It doesn't make too much sense, right? For the overall health of the market. Um, but to me, like I, I tend to collect those key cards, as I mentioned before. And for those cards, you really don't look up the pub report, right? Because if you need to look at pub report to see if it's a rare card, then it's probably not a rare card, right? You have to, um, either it's a special print run, you have to, see how many submission or high grades to tell you roughly how many out there circulating or um, something which is out of thousands or hundreds and then you need high grade to pin it down to a rare level right that's a different kind of cards i to, to what i collect but um but there are certainly like a large number of people collecting those highly liquid cards right and yeah i think those data if available is really good because especially you can track them like as it evolves right and but um yeah i think if you if you put all the data out there there should be some opportunity or something you can draw from it that's for sure but um but those those kind of cards might uh quite correlated to the kind of like a uh, general conditions for example if some people has low liquidity and doesn't care too much about this card or player and think he can e easily re replace it later. The first thing he sells is this card, right? So it's, the, the floor cannot be too strong and it's kind of correlated to the market. I think, I mean, there are people like this, which basically enjoy the card, but also uh, try to capture some momentum, but also want to, able to exit without losing too much it's good for those guys but there are other guys who want to put money into some assets which are not correlated to the general economy because you really want to diversify right different um, things have a different risk profile and the volatility level that might be ideal for other guys so maybe this type of cards are not for those guys yeah, so it depends on how you want to play this game. So since you go more after key cards and rare cards, how important is the grade to those cards? And on the lower end, usually you get around a three, four X multiple. What are you seeing on the, the type of cards that you go after? How important is the grade? Right. Um, yeah, as you can see from my collection, most cards are like in the raw form, right? Um, because I, I don't have a discrete tendency, right? Like try to maximize it or like try to, these days people buy some cards that immediately grade it and ready to go, right? For sell, for leverage, for whatever, for trade, and there's no dis dispute of conditions. So for PSA, they have some guarantee, right? And also it put, puts in the 
grading report to be accounted for somehow. Like, yeah, those kind of things. And so to see like what, what is out there. Um, but um, to me, like, um, of course, I think to transact in the current market, you have to grade it, right? To auction or to, for people to trust this or something. But I think for, for those key cards, they are so rare and to be able to locate one is already very tough. And if you're only looking for an i5 or, or PSA 10, it basically doesn't exist, right? Even you put all the cards <laughs> out, then the rhythm, they wouldn't hit PSA 10. And you, yeah, you spent 10 years, you couldn't find one, and you set PSA 10, you just might forget about it somehow. Yeah, so it, it doesn't really matter, I think. Some of the best cards I have are in the BGS 8 level or PSA 6, so I don't, I don't mind. <laughs> it's funny because you say like you could spend 10 years to find a card and people listening probably don't believe you, but like to find some of the cards, that, that's what it takes. Mm -hmm. And I 100% agree with you. I think, I think in the current market, grading is pivotal, but it does get overblown a little bit. Like people say, do you buy the grade or you buy the card? And it, it always has been by the card, and that's what it should be, in my opinion. Right. Uh, one one extreme example is recently there's a um, um, like a Jordan in the first year exquisite, right? Like a noble nameplate out of twenty five. PSA ten sold for four four hundred thousand, and nine five sold for like over hundred thousand. So it's like one quarter of the value somehow. With the nine five did what? Like one quarter of that so 100 versus okay. 400 um so i i don't know i i understand there could be like individual who really like psa 10 right i just want the psa 10 and within this parameter i try to collect the best thing i can i i understand there might be some guys like this or some big uh, institutional money who specify like psa 10 right that's the only explanation I can give. Otherwise, why it sells like four times. And if you look at a PSA report, it's top one, right? But if you look at a B BGS report, 95 is top 15 or something. <laughs> so one of the 95 could be a PSA 10, 10 candidates, right? So it's a little bit overblown to me, like the, the high grade. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense because if you're going to that card, it's not something that ends frequently. You're, you're, you're drawn to it for the card. You're not drawn yeah. for the grade. Yeah, for sure. And also that card, it's not even, I think if you run, I think there are uh, seven or so Jordan auto patch in the first year exquisite. If you rank them, that card is the, the number two from the bottom. And you, you pay like the high, I think that's high sort of price among all the like, six or seven other patches, <laughs> really a little bit uh, hard to understand, yeah. Another question, let's say you buy a card for like 50,000 and then it, it goes down to like 30,000, same card. Right. In a, in a down market, will you try to like buy that second one? So you're into your first one for a lower average cost mm -hmm. or once you buy one, will you just like, go away and, and move on to something else. Yeah, I think um, I did plenty of buying the second at a cheaper price 
to average. I did plenty of that, but probably at a much lower level, like not uh, 50,000. Um, so that definitely helps you a little bit because I think having two cards, when when a card value reaches a certain level or the interest is very high, you can always sell one, right? But still have something within this uh, momentum, within this upside, so you can still cap, cap, uh, capitalize in the future. So I think that picking up the second copy makes sense. Um, I understand people are like, uh, feel very uneasy, right? Spend a big money on a card, a few months later, it's half of the price or something. <laughs> and people might want to protect the market a bit by bidding or they, they might feel not so passionate about the one they already got it somehow. Yeah, I think um, if you have a longer time horizon, I think if you expect, um, I think fanatics that they want to like 10x the audience, right? And for example, the China market, like in, in their eBay-like app called a card hobby, I think the selling price actually higher than a lot of the US platforms, right? So, and also they have some auction house called the Poly Auction. I think Kobe Auto sells like three times more than the market. And some cars like have expected value of 100,000, so the for 500,000 or something. So it's, there are potential out there and, um, yeah, some people did some numbers, right? There are like the numbers, people of certain networks and also number of sports fans, so on and so forth. And the number of money involving gambling. I think those numbers, if convert a little bit, right? This huge kind of buyer pool. So, um, so with those picture in mind, the value could like five to 10 X, right? If that's the case, you shouldn't be worried about this thing in the short term drop to half because eventually everything will go to another level. So if you think about it this way, you should feel more at ease. For example, you can look at Jordan uh, PMG Red, like historical evolution. At the beginning, it went from like, first of all, in 2008 or so, there's a copy like sit on eBay for half a year for uh, 300 and uh, $50. <laughs> and then uh, gradually um, market catch on, um, sale price goes to 6,000 to 11,000 and stay there for quite a bit, right? And I think it goes down a little bit down to the four digit range, right? I think this is kind of part, probably the kind of local condition you're looking at, right? People feel a little bit uneasy or whether they should get a second copy or something. And you, um, kind of put the time forward for another five to 10 years and you see that they are at like 300 to 400,000 range, right? So all the local up and down doesn't really matter. If you have the card, you have the upside. If you don't have the card, you, you miss out. Yeah, that's kind of the- and The other thing is when you, when you get another copy of such a rare card, you now have twice the control. Whereas mm -hmm. when you want to go to sell the card, there's not some other copy that someone can go get. They, ha they have to go through you, which right. makes That's the price have ability to go up higher. You agree with that? Right, yeah, I think, yeah, I, I agree. Because when you sell a card, I think the fear is 
there's some competition, right? <laughs> we list the auction, which only start to run like maybe several weeks later during this. You don't want to see another auction pop up somewhere, right? I think those, um, the more you have, the less chance it, it shows up. Yeah, that's for sure. And if the extremely rare cards show up like once every five years, if you have two copies, yeah, it's very hard to see another one, like within a time frame. You won't see it. For example, the Jordan Green, someone has like four copies. <laughs> and recently, I think uh, two copies moved hands. Uh, I doubt any copy will be seen in the next few years. So one copy will be impossible to get. So that price will be very high, something like that. Let's shift gears a little bit. I know you're big into the NFTs in the card space. Can you explain to someone, let's say I know nothing, just what is going on right now with NFTs in cards and where do you see it headed? Right. Um, right. So I understand that there is a general kind of understanding, right? A lot of like art NFT or profile picture NFT has shrinked to a very small percentage, right? But what I'm focusing on is the sports NFT. It's a little bit different because sports NFT, which means it's a potential very large audience kind of setting and uh, you have very expensive license, right? In place to be able to produce such a thing. So those are like already very high um, entry point. And also I like the Panini NFT more because it's it looks very similar to the physical card and they have a different, um, they, they kind of release slightly differently, sometimes ahead of the physical cards. So you, you know the set well or the market a little bit before you can plan your physical attack, right? To get um, the physical like grails. Another thing is the price level are fairly low right now, but the market should behave similar to the physical card. So this is very good because you don't need to expose to too many risks, but still can capture the growth. If you, you're good at analyzing the market, spotting the potential players, or um, something blows up, you can immediately sell because um, it's fairly frictionless, frictionless, right? The technology, like you can list and immediately sold instead of grading it and shipping around and so on. So that, that part. Um, of, of, of course, there's uh, other concerns. Um, it's like, for example, in order for this thing to take off, people need to bought into the NFT concept first, right? Then you can talk about the collectability and uh, like investment potential. But I think um, that part will gradually catch on because people spend so much time online these days, right? The screen time is like very high and lots of future um, transaction or um, presentation and stuff, ownership will probably be blockchain or NFT, right? So, this will become a more household kind of notion. And then um, I, I kind of try to advocate, I mean, 
AFP has a community, right? There is a Discord, there's a people chatting around and can talk to the designer a bit, right? In the card collecting, physical card collecting, you cannot tell, talk to the designer, right? You have your feedbacks, you cannot reach the guy. But for the NFT, you can talk to the guy. Now that might, might be a good thing because I, I really want, because so far all the NFT autographs are fascinated autographs, right? The collector sign one, uh, like the player sign once, and all the autograph shows up in all the releases as the same. So it's kind of like fractionalized a little bit, but not really unique to each copy. If you can do a digital autograph, I think that's a, a game changer. Um, for example, recently people like to, to meet their idols and take some selfies, right? But if this digital autograph becomes a mainstream, guys will want to have the digital autograph signed by the guy after the selfie and show on the social media, right? And then this can become a trend and the people will might want to search for the official licensed version of this, right? And then they will go to the, for example, Panini NFT and then adoption can speed up and so on. So I think there is a potential there for sure. Some people recently asked me like, what's the, because I, in, in the recent post you mentioned, I try to say which decade card company brings to the table, right? So they asked me what's the, what's happening for this decade? What will be the innovation or game changer? I think probably like the NFT-based card in some sense. Wow. Right? So digital auto and with patches, because digital thing, the patch will only be a decoration, right? Maybe you can somehow assign to a physical uncut up game used like thing display somewhere and you show that patch belongs to you, but also fractionalize the jersey without destroying it. That could be uh, something to go into. I mean, yeah, it's just a speculation because it's at a very early stage. So no one knows what will happen, right? One thing, one principle I hope to see happen is the tracing of cards, like okay. from inception until like, let's say it changes 10 hands and eventually it gets sold. I want to mm -hmm. know how many hands that card was in, because let's say it's in 10 hands. My mm -hmm. chance, if it's a raw card and I want to grade it, my chances right. of getting a gem are going to be way lower than, is, than right. if it's in one, one hand. So that's exactly. something that I, I, I would love to see implemented if possible. Right. Yeah. The provenance, right? The chain of the provenance data. It's uh, That's part of the NFT uh, kind of register or metadata. Yeah, if you see the big items, for example, I recently make a, a, a post on the coin. For that coin, it's a one of a kind and you can really trace back to the origin, origination and all the sales later has a big story around it, right? So every change of hands is a big time and has a history to it. So I think that part needs to be emphasized. For the big cars, we need to know the previous owners and the story of it, that could be an interesting and important aspect to the collecting, yeah, I think so. I wanna just ask you a few like rapid fire questions. Just give me okay. like a short, a short answer. Okay. Sure, yeah. What's the best Kobe card that you currently have? Okay, um, 
I think the, probably the PMG Green or Jam Master or the Ultimate Logo Man, which is from Three Peat Finals. Be more. There was actually a Kobe Green at the Burbank Card Show a few ah, weeks okay. ago. Someone, someone had one. <laughs> yeah, I think the from the. I think he got it from his friend. Uh, I know the guy. I think Miguel or something. Yeah. He sold a big time uh, Logomania to pay for it, and yeah, it's it's a yeah, it's good home for that card. It's great. Upper deck tops or panini? Who who, uh, who makes who 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 do you have the most cards of? Okay, um, yeah, I think I only have up to ten tops cards, so definitely a mix, half and half between upper deck and the panini. Yeah. Okay. Who do you think is the best NBA prospect from seventeen, oh. eighteen, and forward? Not Luca. Take Luca out. Okay, yeah, 17, 18, and forward. Um, I would think that Tatum uh, and all, um, let's see. Yeah, I think Tatum is probably the best because of his mindset, his skill set, and he's already very close to go over the hump and has no flaw to the game, right? He just needs to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, he played so many minutes, 4,000 minutes. That's why he kind of a little bit tired out <laughs> in the end, and people think, he kind of, yeah, but I think it's doing well. Yeah. Mm. What's the number one card that you're chasing right now that you haven't found yet? Oh, okay. Um, good question. I want to find the Scotty Pippen credential now, number out of two in the 1998, 99. That would be the grail for me. <laughs> and then what's the most expensive card you've ever sold? Huh. I haven't sold much. Um, I, I sold a Kobe Red, which is, and also a final floor of Jordan Auto, both around uh, 240000 Yeah, not too much, but wow. still a sizable amount. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Compared to what I got them, it's like, one is like maybe 66 uh, times more and another is 20 times more so it's a good appreciation so you have a card worth you think 4.8 million that's is that what uh, you're saying 20 times no, no. no what i mean is uh i bought it like three thousand and sold it for oh like, okay um, okay plus. yeah what's the most expensive car that you own in in like okay. estimated uh I don't know. It's very hard to put a value on certain cards. I think maybe the the Brady um, Ultimate Shield Auto within Night Five condition. That's the Brady's only logo man during his first ten years. So uh, I mean, with Auto Solo. Wow. And then you can take more time on this one, but how do you think Fanatics is going to impact you personally and the hobby um, overall? Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so I already like I already uh, know of Fanatics a little bit before I bought some jerseys from them like and also Brady after he moved to the Bucks they released some helmets right with the inscriptions and also serial numbers I bought a couple of those I really like them um, I think um, I listened I listened to like Michael Rubin's um, interview by Colin Coward, right? He's very, he has some big visions. He has 
he knows um, he has some like a digital vision and also he doesn't like redemption and he has good like relationship with players, very good at raising money. Valuation is huge, right? And also very aggressive in obtaining like the licenses. And also there are kind of speculation, right? With some trace regarding the Panini America, maybe uh, IP license takeover <laughs> at some point. So maybe um, those are like all very good uh, for, yeah, I think I, I did a post before. I, I don't know how many people read it. I, I did a summarizing post, like 15 years seems to be a magic number for, for players, excellence, or for a car company. Um, so Panini almost reached that and the uh, height of upper deck and the flare of all, all, all like that. So it's, it's good time to, if yeah, a new player coming to town, hopefully they bring more innovation. And there are problems to be solved. For example, the, the game use market has exploded, right? So to be able to have a meaningful auto patches, game use will be a problem because maybe the cost will, will not cover the sale price. So, but we cannot have a non-associated patch for um, legendary players, right? And we cannot just eliminate that category of cards. So there has to be some things to be solved. But I'm very optimistic. I think uh, he's kind of very good at scaling up. Hopefully, his vision of uh, 10x of the audience within his uh, tenure will realize. And yeah, we're at a different world if that happens. Well, I appreciate your wisdom and knowledge on the hobby. It means a lot for you to come on and, and chat with me today. I appreciate it a lot. And, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for your interesting questions. Thank you.